Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program about trains, planes and automobiles, but mainly cars. I'm David Brown, and in this program we look at news stories, including General Motors confirms talks with Peugeot Citroën that they might sell their Opel Vauxhall brand and manufacturing to the French company. This week I had the pleasure of driving a newly released 4.5 tonne truck around a figure 8 skid pan on full throttle. We will explain why this was an indication of safety technology. We give first impressions about the new Audi Q2 compact SUV. If you can afford it, it's worth buying. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including Peugeot buys India's iconic ambassador brand from Hindustan. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now to begin the program, let's have the news. Ford is investing $1 billion during the next five years in the company Argo AI. Argo AI, based in Pittsburgh, has experience in robotics and artificial intelligence software. But Argo is listed only as being founded this year, although they did say that they intended to have 200 employees by the end of 2017. Argo was founded by Brian Salesky and Peter Rander, who are former leaders on the self-driving car teams of Google and Uber, respectively. Ford wants to bring self-driving vehicles to the market in the near term and create technology that can be licensed to others in the future. The collaboration supports Ford's intent to have a fully autonomous Level 4 capable vehicle for commercial application in mobility services by 2021. PSA, the French carmaker of Peugeot and Citroën, is in discussions to buy the Opel brand from General Motors. Opel is a German manufacturer that has been a subsidiary of GM for nearly 90 years. Opel was first founded by Adam Opel in 1862 as a sewing machine manufacturer. The company began manufacturing bicycles in 1886 and produced its first automobile in 1899. For General Motors, Opel was producing small to medium cars especially for the European market. But Opel has only 6% of the market which puts it behind seven other European brands. The other problem is that it has lost money for years. If the deal goes through, it could make it very hard for Holden in Australia. With the locally made Commodore going out of production, they were depending on the Opel Insignia to fill the gap. If General Motors sells its European brand Opel, it will represent a significant change for the organisation. It was a long-held thought that Opel would provide GM with the engineering know-how to develop small and mid-sized cars it needed for the US and Asian markets. But European cars have to meet high environmental and safety standards and thus can be expensive, and small cars are losing ground to SUVs and crossovers. Furthermore, Chinese companies such as GM's partner Shanghai Automotive Industry Corporation are now engineering a new low-cost vehicle lineup. However, a deal with PSA still has some way to go and it could be structured to allow for joint product development so General Motors would not be totally excluded from a direct link to the European market. 
but the end result is that if the deal goes through, GM will have some funds that it can channel into more profitable parts of its organisation. With Donald Trump taking over as President of the United States with new uncharted directions, there could be major changes to the motor manufacturing industry. Trump's call for more manufacturing in America and a stated preparedness to implement tariffs will receive some public support. The car industry has operated for seven decades on American policy of trade deals and multinational alliances. Multinational deals often mean shared technology and manufacturing of various parts in various locations. A trade deal could severely disrupt these multinational arrangements. Furthermore, one of the biggest markets with large growth potential is China. China appears to be ready and able to take a global role when it comes to open trade. America's position may become one of more success at home but isolation from many world markets. For the US, the biggest problem may be uncertainty and the broader consequences need to be discussed. This year, Mercedes-Benz will be providing electric trucks to a number of companies from different sectors in Germany and throughout Europe to get real-life operating experience for these vehicles. Mercedes reported positive customer reaction following the display in September 2016 at the International Commercial Vehicle Show of their 25-tonne electric truck with a range of 200 kilometres. The truck for the trials, however, carries 12.8 tonnes. The reduction in local pollution is an obvious benefit, but the reduction in noise could also be seen as one of the great features of this type of vehicle for urban areas. Daimler Trucks is expecting the cost for the batteries of an all-electric truck to fall by a factor of 2.5 between the years 1997 to 2025. At the same time, the energy density of the available batteries in this period will rise by a similar factor. And this has been Transport News. So David, I hear you've been moving up in the world and you've finally decided to take on something a bit bigger than your normal road test. I've been driving around in a four and a half ton truck. It's just the chassis of it. Didn't have a huge big container on the back. But I, more than anything, I was out at Eastern Creek Raceway doing figure eights around the skid pan, going flat out as I could. Now, Brian, you and I have done the figure eight out there in some Dutton rallies, haven't we? We have. We have. I think we uh, we did it in the Toyota Prius at one point too. Yes. It's great fun. They they wet it down so it's very skiddy and slippery and you just have to basically try and keep the vehicle on the road. I think a lot of people find the the back end jumping out. How did the truck handle without without a load on the back? Because the ute drivers usually like to chuck a couple of tonnes of uh, sand in the back to improve the handling. What do you do with a truck? Uh, Well, in this case, you have technology on your side. You have an electronic stability program. I went round the figure eight flat out in second gear and just turned the wheel and and all adjusted to it. It was never going to roll over. It backed off the accelerator. Mind you, I tell you what, gee, you had to wind on the lock. (laughs) You used to a car where you're doing sort of half a turn sort of thing. This I was... You know, I broke into a sweat as I, I turned to think. But it was the Hino's new 500 series, a mid-sized truck, and it's the first truck in its class 
that has electronic stability programs, which, Brian, I would think you would campaign that all trucks should have it, given the propensity for fatal accidents to involve rollover or loss of control. Well, you know, I've I've got to say, um, it surprised me to hear that this was the first truck in its in its class with stability control. How do trucks get around without things like anti-lock brakes and, and electronic stability control? Why don't why haven't they had them before? It's been compul- compulsory in in passenger cars for years. Why are they only just coming in now? They would argue a number of things. That one is they don't update trucks as often as cars. Two, they don't sell near as many, so you've got to amortise the cost over a smaller number of vehicles. And three, you need special arrangement. It's not just a normal electronic stability program because you've got to have one that adjusts to the weight and the oh, load. Oh, yes, the load and mm, everything yeah. like that. That's fascinating. Yeah, I guess our cars don't handle uh, having a trailer on the back or a caravan or something. America brought it in for large trucks, I believe, uh, of which you know you can now get Volvos and other cars that will have trailer stability so that mm. if you get into that swaying motion, it'll start braking the car accordingly on individual wheels to stop that happening. So it's very clever. Mm. The other thing that they had that was very good is that this truck, again, I think it's first in its class, uh, has a rear-view camera. What do you attach it to? The is it wireless, and you just attach it to whatever, to whatever uh, load you're carrying, or it's a rigid truck. So if you have a, oh, okay, a fixed right. body on it, so you're you're, you're not you're, it's not a semi hmm. in any way. But the thing about it was, it, it it was rather very focused just on where the rear of the truck was, rather than a broader one that might pick up pedestrians crossing and things like uh, that. But I had hmm. to do a a backing test where they had a plastic barrier that they filled with water. They didn't, but they had it there with an egg on top, and I had to back back to it and not disrupt the egg and break it. <laughs> hey, David, did you uh, you spent a lot of time running around the figure eight. Did you fill in a logbook? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, David, you, you said you're in second gear. Now, given that, that some trucks have, like, 24 gears, um, so you were doing all of, what, 10 k's an hour? <laughs> <laughs> uh, these have about seven, I think. Uh, and so, yeah, I wasn't going too flat out. Yeah. <laughs> Enough but you to... spent a lot of time in there. Did you Did you have a few empty plastic bottles to fill up and things like that, throw out the window at rest stops? Well, I had to stop because there was a hitchhiker. Beside... <laughs> 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 I wanted her to keep me company, you know, someone, someone to talk, talk to. Talk to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to double shuffle in this one, or is it? I tell you what, sixty percent of them will be sold. Will be sold with automatics. Isn't that interesting? Sixty percent automatics with a big truck, and for, I guess four ton is not a huge truck. No, but it's a, it's yeah. a goodly sized sort of. Oh, I don't know what it would be. A bit less than a removalist fan. Uh, yeah, sort of around that. I've got a picture of it. I'll put on the site. It, but there's certainly a case that you can have quite you know a reasonable size sort of container on the back because you're not necessarily carrying a, a load that is very dense but might be rather bulky and mm. you know to carry mm. in that sense so yeah it's it's not too too small a truck you certainly you know cab forward sitting up there like king harry uh, but uh, yeah the reason they're doing automatics now um is that it, it's one less pressure 
they're also getting trouble getting drivers and getting drivers now the young people who want to drive a truck may never have driven a manual before in their life and they are also uh, we have a market here where there's very few women drivers but there are some not that that necessarily means one thing or the other but just the sheer tiredness i talked to a couple of guys who drove trucks and if you're constantly changing gear you can get worn out it's it mm. can be very tiring do you think david with the sort of the increase in safety things and the you know the high driving position can you do you think you can start to see these things uh yeah, dropping kids off at school soon <laughs> As <laughs> better than an SUV, yeah. yeah. Well, the SUVs are coming down in height a bit. Yeah, this this genuinely gets back in. You got to climb into it. I climbed in and out, and I got to say, I didn't look elegant at all. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. Now, at the other end of the extreme, I've just been to the launch of the new Audi, the uh, little Q2 compact SUV. And I've got to say, it's rather expensive, forty-one dollars to $48,000 plus on roads. But, gee, I tell you what, it's a cute look. Yeah, no, cute's the wrong word. Uh, Q2, it's nearly could be called a QT, but it's more than cute. It's quite a distinctive design. It's just a miniature version of their other sort of SUVs, isn't it, Dave? Well, I think it's better looking. I think it's better looking than their other SUVs. It reminds me of, reminds me of an A3. It looks like a tall A3. Mm. Yes, mm. absolutely. And, in fact, it's very similar. But the front looks in two dimensions, doesn't look as good as it does in the flesh. The back of it looks a little smaller and more sort of squarish, almost back to a Lancia. Do you remember those little Lancias? They, they sort of had that sort of squarish look around the back. But I think it, it, it is in a difficult situation to make an SUV look good. I think it's rather good. It travels but, particularly well. But why is it? I mean, not why is it hard to make it good. Why is this car? Because it, when you look at it, it's, it's nothing to, to differentiate it from any other hatchback. It, it just looks like a car. It's not what makes it an SUV, you know? Why, why create a new model when effectively it looks like a, basically a sedan? Because to put the brand name SUV on it has a great lot of cash gain. Ah, mm. Now we get yeah, to but it. People don't want to pick up their kids from school in a sedan. It has to be an SUV. Station wagon. Station wagon. (laughs) So it's becoming more and more like a station wagon, really. It's a short station wagon. Yes. Has it got all-wheel drive all the time? Uh, The the base model is front-wheel drive and the upmarket model is all-wheel drive. Bit bit disappointing, isn't it? Because you expect a... You know, Audi's renowned for their Quattro system, and they make a SUV of all things without it. The top one is called the Quattro, trying to cash in on that name, of course. I've got to say, though, geez, it was a nice little car to drive. It's a really sort of came together rather well. Look, David, I, when I first saw the name of this, I, I misread it as the QE2, so I was wondering, does it drive like a boat? <laughs> well, it's certainly not that size, and it's not that lumbering. But, but was there anything royal about it? That's what I want to know. No, no, no. It's far, very much aimed at the youth market. They talked more about its connectivity 
than they did about its handling. Yes, uh, that, 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 inf- that infamous youth market where all the dollars are. Well, the other thing inside, you can get ambient light in ver- various colours, LED lighting, and apparently you can pick the colours. And the, the lovely young lady who uh, is the product developer for it said that uh, if her boyfriend is in uh, causing her some angst, she can turn it to red and other things. <laughs> Uh, you may note that we went from the uh, restaurant to the hotel in the latest Audi, and that actually was a rickshaw with the Audi brand name. <laughs> right. Hey, I got to tell you though, going—I was in Melbourne, going through the streets, <laughs> the oh, streets man. of Melbourne at a slow speed without a roof. It was rather pleasant. I knew it was a nice night in that. the rickshaw. Yeah. Do you know, like you get when you have a convertible, you can in sort of enjoy it. At the terrible time for a convertible, to my mind, is the middle of the day. The great time is driving home from the theatre on a balmy night with oh, yeah. the top down. Hmm. Well, this this was that. But, well, of course, the rickshaw was two of us sat in the back. And as you know, I'm not the most lithe of persons. I, I wanted to give my peddler a bonus for <laughs> having to carry me around. But... <laughs> Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was you, good You fun tipped him it. a few extra pesos, did you? <laughs> well, darling, David, you and I have talked about this, you know, travelling a bit more slowly in, a, say, an electric bicycle-style rickshaw. You know, we think this is the future a bit, isn't it? Well, yes, and we will talk about that, not this time, but next week, about using a rickshaw for an ambulance in a, in a, in a certain place. Anyway, those are the two things that I've been doing this week. Perhaps, uh, gentlemen, we might give up on the so-called serious issues and after the break have a little chat about some quirky news. Okay, no worries, David. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au. Back again with Brian Smith and Errol Smith. Thank you, gentlemen, once again for your time. G'day, David. No worries, David. And uh, let's start with some quirky news. Now, uh, Brian and Errol, do you remember the Hindustan ambassador? We speak of little else. (laughs) (laughs) I've been waiting for it to come back, David. You never know. It might do that. Uh, Now, you see car companies buy other brand names or other companies in order to often move up market. The classic example was Volkswagen bought Bentley, BMW bought Rolls-Royce. From India to the Europe, the Indian company Tata bought Land Rover and Jaguar and wanted to keep that elegance to it. Now we seem to be going the other way. The news out is that Peugeot has bought the brand name, and I, I don't know, I suppose merchandising as well, of the Hindustan Ambassador. Gentlemen, you remember that this is basically a Morris Oxford from 1956 of the three series. That's rather nice. And they sold it in India from 1958 to 2014. It was, yeah, it was a classic, wasn't it? They finally went out of stock. <laughs> but why are they bringing it back? It can't possibly have the sort of emissions or fuel economy or even the fit-out and the stuff that people want. Is it, is it really about getting that brand name and the ambassador? Oh, I need the name. I, yeah. you know, there's, They're not bringing back the vehicle, are they? No, I, 
uh, of which they paid about 15 or so, 15 and a half million dollars for to get wow. the name. Now, wow. when the thing was in India, and, and you know, up till 2014, it was uh, known as the King of Indian Roads. It was seen as the car that politicians, or well, perhaps not all the big politicians, but certainly bureaucrats and some politicians got around in. It, it was uh, deemed to be very good and had very few changes except towards the end to meet emission standards. They took out the old engine and put in a diesel engine. What I think from this is that Citroen is just is quirky enough to create a modern version of the Ambassador. <laughs> oh, that'd be interesting. Like, uh, it'd be nice, I suppose, to see the name. It's such a classic old name, but it also has these these strange sort of colonial overtones, doesn't it? I would have thought India might be interested in moving beyond that. Ah, yes, yes. Well, now that leave that that British thing in the past. Well, the other thing is, will Peugeot be, bring back the 403 or the 504? Wonderful cars. Well, I, th- I thought the retro look died off with the reimagined Beetle and the Mini, but, but more recently we've had the Fiat 500, so anything's possible. We could see the, uh, yeah. the reimagined Ambassador. The only trouble is, if you try to do that sort of old style, the Beetle really became very cutesy and and wasn't anything really that the original was. The Mini has got much bigger and got much more upmarket. Uh, the thing is, you look at Chrysler, they brought in the PT Cruiser, hmm. that little something that you would see in American Graffiti, the movie, or the Prowler, even more American Graffiti. Hmm. Neither of those really worked. It seemed almost like a con, as though you were trying to get an image of the past in a modern clothing, and it just didn't seem to work. Mm, yeah, but it could just—they could just be using it as a cheaper brand, like like Nissan has reintroduced Datsun as sort of its low-end brand, and the Renault has has Dacia, which I saw quite a few of in uh, in um, New Mia. So anything's possible. It'll it'll just be the, the cheap a cheap Citroen. Hey, hang, Errol, you're calling Datsuns the cheap alternative. You're talking to. <laughs> If Dean Oliver is listening to this, he'll come and kill you. That's. <laughs> I understand why, but I'm. Yeah, this is radio. It's not meant to be logical. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian, you have a story for us. I do, David. Um, if you're a policeman, you've probably heard it all excuses for speeding and various things. So. Uh, an officer in Three Springs in Western Australia um, was happy to share uh, the excuse he got for a, a car driver who was doing more than 20 kilometres an hour over the speed limit uh, recently. The the driver said, uh, look, the wind was pushing me. So that's a crackerjack uh, sort of um, excuse. The wind was pushing him forward. Uh, it's, it's true the police officer shared uh, an image of the... Um, the ticket that the the driver got. So even though it was quite an amusing uh, excuse, it didn't really help. He got a $200 fine and two points off his licence. I've got to say the guy is probably an expert because if you look at Formula One now, the, the direction of the wind and all that is, is information that the pits will give to the drivers. You know, it could be particularly beware at the end of the straight, there's a bit of a crosswind. Mm. But, so perhaps the guy was really quite an attuned driver. He, he could have been, okay, David. Yes. I, I looked at, up what kind of wind speed, because he got to 129 kilometres an hour. So I, I looked up what kind of uh, wind speed you would need for that. 
Uh, and you'd need to be in a category, category three cyclone to, to get to uh, almost 130 k's an hour. So I was wondering <laughs> what the conditions were uh, at the time of this incident. It would have been very hard for the policeman to write a ticket in such conditions. The other thing is, in sailing, you don't just want the wind behind you, do you? I mean, it would depend on the aerodynamics of the car as to how well he could go into oh, a okay. crosswind. Mm. You think it's whether or not he's, he's reaching or running. Oh, Brian, <laughs> do you think he was tacking in front of the police officer at the time? <laughs> That's ready about. Or he could I, be shouting, I'm on starboard. I think he got his uh, partner to go out on the trapeze. I think that <laughs> might have been. <laughs> Hanging out of the window. That's <laughs> might not have been, yeah, might have been the difficulty in doing it. But, uh, well, the other issue is that they are talking about using wind uh, to help with things like big tankers. So the, uh, the thing about a big tanker is that uh, they use about um, one gallon to the 70 centimetres, I think, is uh, the sort of thing. So if you can get any wind assistance, so they might well be using sails on tankers, not to do the whole lot, but certainly Just to help. To help. Mm. Errol, you have uh, a story for us as well. Yeah, well, David, if you're in an older house and you can't get your modern car past the house, let alone into the tiny original garage out the back, then don't feel that bad because modern homeowners now have just as many problems. In Adelaide, a housing plan was approved and constructed, which resulted in a street pole being right in front of the garage. And there isn't even a driveway lip on the road. You'd have to be uh, pretty creative to get your car in and out, I think, David. Well, hang on, Errol. You're assuming that a garage is for putting a car in. Surely, oh, the, sorry, mate, the, I, that was a naive, that was a bit naive of me, wasn't it? Well, the thing is that they're for full of junk, aren't they? Isn't that the the role of a garage? It's to fill it full of uh, uh, stuff. Well, it's also perhaps the fundamentalists who are trying to discourage people driving. So you can hmm. sell the house with, and it has a garage. But you'll have to use public transport because you can't park your car. Yes, there's a lock-up garage you can't use for a vehicle. I, I think all they need is they, they need the car from the old Aussie film Malcolm, the one that splits in two down the <laughs> splits middle. Splits in half. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, gentlemen, we better have uh, enough for the day. I uh, thank you very much, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for your time. Talk to you later, David. Errol Smith and Brian Smith, and we were talking some quirky news, which you can get in longer version by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Errol Smith, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.